Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Do you struggle on a day-to-day basis with staying happy and finding the drive to achieve your goals? As someone who has struggled for years with anxiety and depression, I understand how much of a fight it can be every day. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp assesses your personal needs and matches you with one of their licensed professional therapists. You can start communicating within 48 hours of registration, and it's not a crisis line or self-help. It's real, professional therapy done from the comfort of your own space. BetterHelp has a network of 20,000-plus therapists that are available to clients worldwide. You can log in and send a message to your therapist at any time and get timely and thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you'll never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. Because let's be real, therapy is intimidating enough. It should be as comfortable as possible. BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so it's super easy to change therapists if you need to. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional therapy, especially since financial aid is available, because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. To get started on a path to a happier life, visit betterhelp.com slash therapy. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. There's also a special offer for Unit Therapy listeners. If you guys use the link betterhelp.com slash therapy to register, you'll get 10% off your first month. Again, that's better, H-E-L-P.com slash therapy. Start healing your mental health today. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to You Need Therapy, the happy people podcast. Or in more realistic terms, the mental health podcast for young adults, where we talk about everything mental health related, and we have the conversations that no one wants to have because they're uncomfortable. So welcome to the community. I'm so glad you're here and let's hop right in. Hello everyone and welcome back to Uni Therapy. My name is Emily and I am the host of this podcast. If you are new here, thank you so much for tuning in and joining this this little growing family that we have. I'm so so happy that you are here. Um yeah, if you're not new here, thank you so much for continuing to come back and listen and support the podcast it really means the world to me um quick disclaimer that i have to put at the beginning of each episode is that i am in no way licensed professional in anything mental health i am not a therapist that this is not actual professional medical health advice this is simply all of my opinions from my own years in therapy other podcasts books youtube videos people that i interview all of that and i just kind of use this as an outlet to share and give you guys tools for your toolbox. So that being said, I typically start each episode with what I like to call my life breakdown, but on episodes where we have um, guests that I'm interviewing, I like to kind of just get right into the interview. So I kind of skip over that. And we have a, um, a lovely guest on the podcast today. I'm so excited about this. We have the lovely Anna Maria, um, who is, um, oh shoot, where is it? 
on Instagram, she is Anna Maria Life Coach. So definitely go check out her Instagram. I will be linking it in the description of the episode. But Anna is a healing strategist and a life coach who specializes in burnout, addiction, anxiety, toxic relationships, and complex trauma. Now, she was so, so gracious and uh, agreed to come onto the podcast today and answer all of my questions about um, adverse childhood experiences and kind of how that forms who we are as adults and um, specifically talking about things like anxiety, social anxiety, and, um, you know, just just everything else that we decided to uh, to kind of go off on tangents and, and get into. Um, so yeah, so I'm so excited for you guys to, um, listen in and I hope that you learn as much as I did through this conversation. Um, it was really amazing having her on and I literally, like I said, I learned, goodness, I learned so much. It was, it was amazing. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and without further ado, let's get into it. How are you? How is your week started off it's good it's also been busy you're actually not my my first interview for the podcast today i had another one earlier so it's been that and oh really chores and and i just went on a walk but which was a mistake because it's boiling out right now <laughs> so, oh, wait, where are you located again i'm in atlanta oh okay cool i drove to georgia because i just came to uh canada for staying here a bit for the summer i drove to through georgia and it was so it's, when I stop, it's, it's <laughs> sticky and and gross. And I was actually, so my main job is I'm an actress, and we were um we were shooting on location. Actress? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and and, uh, and we were we were shooting on location in Valdosta, which is like super super south Georgia. It's like thirty miles um to the Florida border, so it was uh-huh. like even worse there. And we were like out there all night. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> Oh man! So let me ask you. So since you're in acting, how come you're doing this? Um, so you focus on social anxiety mostly, or um? So I just focus on on mental health as a whole. In general, um, and okay. Kind of everything that ties into that. Um, kind of I try to do a broad spectrum of topics that are just like people kind of deem as uncomfortable to talk about. Like this morning, I had on a a sex therapist, and kind of we talked mm. about how like you know, um, sexuality and self-pleasure and purity culture and kind of how that's all tied into mental health. So I kind of just do a, a broad Mm. spectrum and I bring on guests that kind of have a a perspective that I don't have so I can reach a a bigger Mm. audience to let people know that they're not alone and, and the things Uh that they're feeling are completely normal and and everything like that. Uh Oh, cool. Well, yeah, that's awesome that you're doing this. Yeah. I I started it in, in quarantine when I was like, I have nothing else to do. Yeah. So I was like, might as well. Was it about mental health from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that's really awesome. Like, I, I love it. Like, it's unfortunate that, you know, stuff like the quarantine and a pandemic are bringing these issues more to the forefront than before, but something at some point has to, so. Right, yeah. And I mean, in the yeah. end, it's going to be really beneficial to, to talk about this stuff more and to normalize it more, for sure. And, you know, speaking about social anxiety, there's been a huge increase in social anxiety post-quarantine. Like, in mm. here in Canada, in Toronto, it, it's been the most locked-down uh, city in the world. And wow. social anxiety has gotten out of, like, control for some people. Yeah. 
there's just not what like if there were like seeds of it in there before like maybe not a disorder just like you know discomfort that they would work through right after the lockdown it many it flared up into a disorder for many wow yeah i mean that makes sense we went so long without anything in person and i know i i i mean i i think i've always had kind of struggled with social anxiety but it definitely did get get worse after the the pandemic how long were you guys locked down for in georgia um so i actually did not spend quarantine in georgia i just moved here about a year ago from colorado um and colorado and how was it there they were pretty strict on it um so we were i mean quite a few like probably a, a few months in like a hard lockdown of you like you couldn't go out you couldn't go see anyone I remember because because it actually hit my senior year of high school so (laughs) I remember like all my all my friends and stuff we would like drive to like parking lots and kind of like distance our cars and like we'd sit in the trunks with masks on and like just like hang out that way so we could like still like have some sort of of you know social connection but so yeah that was that was crazy for sure (laughs) you didn't get a graduation did you um, we got it, but it was extremely delayed. It was, so usually they're in like May, end of May. Um, we didn't get it until like the middle of June and it was like, we oh. were like really distanced on the, on the field and, and they didn't allow like any of the crowds in the bleachers. Like we could bring our two like people, whoever we chose and we were all spread out on the fields and, but it was kind of cool because like, at least they still, they still did it, which was nice. They still did it. Yeah. yeah. My son didn't get to graduate from his, um like a grade eight elementary school they didn't do it mm. it was and he was so bummed it's like you wait that whole time and then it's like sorry right yeah <laughs> it, it sucked for sure yeah well well I don't know if this is behind us or not but you know at least we're learning to work through things and social anxiety is definitely one of the things that has emerged from this and hopefully like it becomes more normalized and the more normalized something gets and the more people talk about it I think the less fear there is attached to it so right definitely I agree um so we're just gonna get right into the questions um before that though um so you are a life coach correct yeah yes correct so um will you just start with like kind of telling us a little bit about your job and kind of how you got started into that career path yeah, so I'm a life coach, but I'm also like, I like to call myself more of a healing strategist because I think life coaches focus on, you know, the present moment and like setting the goals. But in order to be able to do that, I feel that you need to kind of like work through some of your current issues that are blocking you from doing that. And usually those are rooted in the past. Yeah. So that's like where the healing aspect comes into it. And um, I got into it because I struggled with, um, I had generalized anxiety disorder. And then as I, you know, life advanced and I got into my 30s, was married and in a toxic relationship and I had a child, all these responsibilities and distresses kind of like progressively took me to somewhat of a breakdown of sorts. And that's when I learned about childhood trauma. That's how I heard learned about like, being a highly sensitive person and what contributes to anxiety and what contributes to general well-being and health. So I got so passionate about my own 
healing that it was kind of like something that I really wanted to help others with. So I eventually transitioned from the corporate world into doing this full time. That's I see. I always love like hearing how people get started into what they do because I feel like it always ends up having some like personal, you know, big thing you have to work through to get to that. And so I love that. And I love that you you took what you went through and you're using it to help people. That's really awesome. Yeah, and and it it happened when uh, there was some political stuff going on that I won't even get into, but there was a lot of kids that were you know shown on the news, and there were in a lot of distress a few years back. Right. And um, I noticed that you know like childhood and adverse childhood experiences are inevitable from happening. Like you just it just happens, be it societally, be it personally. And I, I was so, I had already taken like a whole bunch of courses and stuff on these topics for myself, for my own interests. And I said, you know what, if I can't help current children and I, I will, we could never like prevent these things from happening or our life unfolding. I at least want to be able to help inner children and adults right. heal, like for adults to heal, heal their inner child. Yeah. So that was like the reason why the healing strategist um, combined with a life coaching. That's how it came about. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned adverse childhood experiences and that's, I know that's what you kind of really specialize in. Um, so to start off, can you kind of give us some examples of, of what adverse childhood experiences are specifically like maybe examples that people might not necessarily think of as trauma? Right. So like the, there's an ACEs test, an adverse childhood experiences test that is done. And I have clients who are like, it's not the kind of test that you want to score high on. <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah, that is an inconvenient truth. So there's like seven um, adverse childhood experiences that they test for. And they're physical, emotional and sexual abuse, household, mental illness, um, household substance use, household domestic violence, incarcerated household members and parental separation or divorce. So those are like the big, you know, the big items that they test for when they test to see how your ACE score is like. Um, but then, you know, there's stuff like political revolt, revolt. Like I come from Eastern Europe and there was a communist revolution when I was like eight years old. So I had to like, go through that and um but then there's stuff like you don't think about like for example bullying in school you know like and I had a lot of that because I'm six foot one and I had so much bullying happen Mm -hmm. in elementary and that does affect you that does like you know like with social anxiety for example like it really gave me anxiety showing up to school because I knew bullying would happen Mm -hmm. but then there's other stuff like that there isn't even like a mm, mean intent behind it like let's say you know, your parents have a sibling and they have uh, some sort of like health issues or disability. So then like your parents are no longer available to you as you'd like them to be because they're always attending to your sibling. It doesn't mean they love you less. Right. None of that, you know, or there's like mean intent behind it, but your sibling may need more attention and care and therefore you're getting less of it. And that may affect you indirectly um, or like, for some reason, let's say, you know, um, a parent loses their job and then the other parent has to work two jobs to make up for that financial period of time 
let's say it happens during your childhood, you may feel like you're neglected because they're so busy working all the time. But it was just, it's a, it's a side effect to the fact that they're trying to make more money to make up for that financial um, instability that the family may be going through, but you're experiencing neglect from that. And as a child, it's hard to understand the context behind things. Mm -hmm. So you, kind of tend to take things personally and uh, that settles in in like a in a painful way emotionally for you right gotcha I I like that you specified that it's not necessarily always with like a a negative mean intent that trauma can Uh still occur because I feel like I feel like a lot of people tend to like especially as adults when you're looking back on your trauma kind of not like validate your your feelings with that trauma enough because like oh well it wasn't a negative intent or anything but just because it doesn't doesn't mean it still can't have that effect on you right right and it's you know it's it's about getting our needs met and sometimes it just circumstances are such that you know life lays things out that some your needs aren't met and as a child you don't understand context and you take things personally and that may like sit within you as an unanswered uh, need emotional need later on so then you may have like that ongoing issue until you address it and heal it right all right um so my next question is like do things like anxiety depression social anxiety like all of those you know kind of mental health issues that a lot of people struggle with do those only develop in adults when those like when that childhood trauma has occurred or are there a ton of other reasons for people to develop those those issues as well well in my experience i came to realizing that there's like i had anxiety but there's there were so many other factors that contributed to that anxiety um in my case particularly it had gotten really really bad uh, obviously around stressing moments but also like for example when we immigrated from Romania to the U.S. that was really hard for me as a child and I remember I had like OCD and panic attacks but later on for example when I started using um, the birth control pill I know a lot of women have issues when it comes to using the birth control pill it gives them either anxiety or depression mm-hmm. so hormones uh, contribute highly to your mental state um there's also like the genetic and the family history right. that you come from. And um, gut health is also very important. 95% of our serotonin is not produced in the brain, it's produced in the gut. Right. So our gut health is really important. Like if you have parasites or, I don't know, bacteria growth or whatever, there's tests that can address that. And um, that's really important because it then affects how you're absorbing nutrients and if you have any deficiencies. Uh, for your healthy uh, brain functioning or not, or if there's things kind of like leaching off of that from your gut, affecting that balance of um, a healthy gut and a healthy brain. Um, There's also toxin exposure that affects, um, again, the absorption of um, things that we need for our body to function optimally and the connection between body-mind is essential so that's also um very important and uh then obviously then there's the experiential stuff like the adverse childhood experiences or any you know sudden stressors that have impacted you um in your life so far right okay wow that's a lot of different <laughs> things lot. that can that can cause that <laughs> stuff that's crazy um so kind of 
stemming off of that of like you know you don't necessarily need to like you could have had a, a very happy and healthy childhood and and still develop things like that how common is it to actually not have like any childhood trauma at all is that like even I don't a know thing? if that unicorn exists <laughs> yeah because like, I was because I was uh, I was actually I was kind of brainstorming questions the other day and and, and my mom I was talking to her and because we were like everyone we know has something that happened to them so I was like is that even even possible right and if it doesn't happen like in your immediate family it could happen in in your like surrounding like at school right. or in your neighborhood or and then you think you could just do like a ripple effect of, and then it becomes like a systemic societal issue that is affecting you directly so um i'm sure there's kids where this pandemic has they, they may have had fantastic households let's say um best case scenario that they were locked down in and then this pandemic has affected the way they view the world and how scary it is and i don't know their perception of microbes and viruses and going out there and the mask and all of this stuff. So um, it's really, I, I believe every generation has their events historically, if not, you know, in your family or in your community. So it's kind of like life is a process of healing and growing and it's a journey, not a destination. So I don't know if that unicorn of no trauma exists. Right, right. <laughs> But I, but I like that, that you, you know, you said that it's life is a process of healing. And I think that's really important because like, yeah, while everyone probably has some sort of trauma that it can get better and it can, it can go uphill from there. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, exactly. And then, you know, what? I, I, it's really important that we stay resilient. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, ultimately, that's what healing means, that we're flexible and resilient because we can't stop life from happening. Right. You know, life is beautiful, but then also life is tragic. Life is happy, but then also life is sad. And um, you can't isolate yourself from one without either isolating yourself from all of them. Right. Uh, so then you kind of have to be open. If you want to be happy, you're going to have to be open to being sad, <laughs> you know, have your heart open to all of the emotions and being able to be resilient and flexible and kind of like widening that window of tolerance as we go through life is what healing is to me. Right. Is it, is it important for, not to like say like trauma is, is good obviously cause it's not, but like, is it I like based off of how people kind of deal with that? Is that like important developmentally to kind of like, who we are as adults to kind of like round us as, as humans and, and give us like a lot of perspectives of, of the world and, and what we can, you know, get through. Well, it's what you do with it for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it's how your level of self-awareness comes in. And if you want to feel better and how you want to grow from it. And that really requires us to kind of like change from a fixed mindset of victimhood, let's say, and kind of like try to transition gently and slowly, which is really important in complex trauma, gently and slowly from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, life isn't happening to us, it's happening for us. And I say that, you know, very gently, because I've been on the receiving end of like horrible traumas and, right. you know, a terrible breakdown. 
And it's hard to understand when you're going through those things. But at the same time, in retrospect, it's like I was growing through those things as I was going through those things. Um, Easier said than done. And it's always nice to, (laughs) you know, to, to look back on it when you're not in the, in the eye of the storm, Mm -hmm. but um, definitely does build character and it shapes you and it's about your grit and um, your drive to want to move forward from it. I always say you always got to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love that. I, yeah, I, I, I and and I feel like that's that's where like therapy is is such a a vital thing for for I feel like everyone to go through especially because we you know you just said that it's like not really a thing for someone to go through life without trauma and so like I feel like uh-huh. it, it's therapy is, could be beneficial for for everyone I, I, even if if you maybe don't have like um you don't think that you have a trauma or because it was so small you think it's insignificant or something I feel like everyone has some sort of issue that they need to work through right and it always always almost always immediately shows up in your intimate relationships that's Mm -hmm. the most likely one where you see it right Mm -hmm. and uh like your intimate relationships and then your job like there's always uh, a way that you handle those situations and friendships so there's there's definitely work that is to be done on one if there's the will to do it you know if there's a will there's a way so that's really important um so next question is that so you you know are are specialized in in childhood kind of trauma and experiences um so I kind of want to talk about relationships is specifically in like kind of I think middle to high school where I feel like our brains are developing a lot during that Uh time so those relationships, I feel like people, you know, kind of view those relationships as insignificant because you're so young and they're usually short term. But if those relationships are draining in any way, can that still cause lifelong, you know, self-worth or trust issues or, you know, any of those issues, even though they might seem significant and short term? Well, I think that they are probably the building blocks of your current, um, where you find yourself in your mental headspace today, those were your building blocks because, um, and I learned this from a lecture from Dan Siegel that apparently like our adolescence ends at 24 years old. So I didn't know that you're and like, your brain is an adolescent, um, uh, development until 24. So that's a long time and lots of experiences and relationships take place during that Mm -hmm. and um i think that those experiences and those relationships do shape um our view of the world and our place in it so therefore after you know 24 years old you kind of like have a predetermined idea of what the world is like and what to expect from it and where you fit in it. And if there were any deficiencies or any um, experiences where you're lacking trust and you're having fear Mm -hmm. and um, there's great sadness, then definitely those experiences kind of like I said, they were the building blocks and working through those 
issues is really important to then have a healthier adulthood and establish healthy relationships that are no longer living in the in the shadow of those earlier um, experiences with others. And I also, it's very important, like when when you're with someone, I always give this example, like you're, you're communicating and you're having um, a moment together in the present moment, but you're both like, you're both coming imagine like two eyes on the left and the right side Mm -hmm. you're each looking like you with your eyes are looking at the present moment let's say an object uh a chair with your whole past behind you and then the other person is looking at it with their whole past experiences Mm -hmm. so you're both looking at it and for them it's like oh it's for that person let's say oh it's just a chair oh we used to have tons of long family dinners uh that um, you know, we had every single weekend and from each year like in both boredom, let's say, right? Because it's like long, endless family dinners. And then for the other person, maybe the other person got spanked and they had to like, you know, like bend on a chair and get spanked and get timed out and get disciplined that way. So for them, like you're looking at the same present item or moment, but you're coming with your own life history, looking at it and interpreting it. Right. So it's very important because we show up for each other today, but with our history very much still alive in us. Mm-hmm. So those insignificant, like you said, short-term relationships are very much present as uh, alive experiences in us that if they did create any um, um, unpleasant, let's say, uh, feelings, we need to work through them in order to kind of like let go of those triggers. Right. That was like, that was a, that was, I was really interested in that, like getting that answer because like I, I remember my first like real boyfriend in high school was like only like a month relationship, but it was so emotionally draining on me because he was just so toxic and I was like, and I see that now as an adult, like still popping up and, and causing issues. So Uh like that's, that's crazy because I mean, you wouldn't think it was because it was like a month, you wouldn't think it's. A big deal, but it's definitely still present in in when I'm trying to, you know, date now. Right, and, and you know that your first boyfriend was like the first, it was like a novel experience that you're having those things for the, you're feeling those things for the first time and you're doing those things for the first time. Right. And because they're novel, they kind of leave the first, I don't know, fingerprint on, on you, like an emotional right. fingerprint on you. So then that's your only reference point when you look back at what intimacy looks like. So until you build healthier relationships and like heal those triggers, that is the only reference point you, you have. And if you want to go even deeper than that in like in a healing conversation, it would be like all the way to back to like your father and your mother and how those relationships, how they have formed um, your place in, in attachment with others. So there's definitely a lot like a root cause analysis that you could do to be able to kind of like ease those triggers away so that you're no longer being affected by them in current and future relationships. Right. Wow. So much digging to do. (laughs) (laughs) I always say that I like, I don't, I always say that I, I excavate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I have to be careful when I do that in with clients because like you, there's like it, it, there's little 
there's little explosives <laughs> lying around that you gotta you gotta know how to uh, how to approach them gently and get rid of them. <laughs> right, because you're like you're like not even thinking about one thing, and then it's connected to one thing that you hit, and you're like, oh my god, exactly. Think about that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, okay, so moving on into kind of anxiety and social anxiety, I was very curious as to because I know they're they're two kind of separate things so can you have one without having the other or do they kind of come as a, a package deal usually well I think that like general or like generalized anxiety is more about like you worry about everything and all life situations and it's like ongoing relationships and you know anything and everything is generalized um any thing could trigger you in your life whereas social anxiety is more about how you're being seen socially and how you're being like evaluated um socially and how you show up in the world and what that perception of the world has of you when you show up Mm -hmm. and trying to like not let anyone down not embarrass yourself not make a fool of yourself um not screw up with anything like that whereas you know um regular general anxiety is more about worrying about everything about finances about relationships uh, so they go together in that in general anxiety you could have social anxiety uh it's part of it but in social anxiety usually focuses more on um being evaluated and like how you're being observed, how like when you're meeting new people, how their impression uh, of you is like and how you appear in front of others. And I think that it is a possibility that you could develop from social anxiety. You could just keep like a snowball effect and then it could get into generalized anxiety. Right. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And like with, with social anxiety specifically, does that like, I know it's like uh, the the pandemic and like not socializing for a while can like kind of uh, cause that. Do, would things like bullying and and everything in school kind of could also cause that because you you had like negative social interactions? Yeah, it's how it's how you're being observed and how how other people receive you and how your performance is being. Uh, received by others so definitely bullying is a huge one in social anxiety okay um also for social anxiety do you like what are some things to do to kind of overcome that because like I personally I struggle really bad with social anxiety and I know like I've I've been trying to like push myself to go out and do things that make me uncomfortable like going and eating by myself going and like shopping by myself like is kind of pushing yourself out of that comfort zone helpful or, or hurtful in the long run? I think it's helpful, but it's how gentle you are with it. So there's a lot of like patience that needs to be uh, given to yourself. And it's Peter Levine. Um, he, 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 you know, he um, developed somatic experiencing and it's about trauma healing, but he has this term called, pendulation kind of like a pendulum and you basically like titrate you titrate small in exposure therapy because that's what you were saying pretty much like exposing yourself to going out doing things uh but doing them very gently just so that you could have then the the time to integrate the success of it 
Um, so if you overwhelm yourself and you like go out with your friends and go to the mall and then go out, I don't know, uh, on a date, like in the evening with someone you're just going to meet off an app or something, that's a lot of socializing in one day. So, um, you are bound to get overwhelmed at one point and then that registers in your mind as a negative experience. Whereas if you do like small things slowly and gently expose yourself to then integrate confidence and um, trust in yourself to then be able to kind of like titrate more and more and grow into more activities uh, as time passes on. But definitely exposing yourself to it is one of the necessities because you can't, you know, heal from social anxiety in isolation. Right. Okay, good to know. I will definitely be practicing that in smaller because <laughs> I didn't yes. notice I was like I was like I'm getting overwhelmed when I try to do and like with with my with my job a lot like I know personally it's a lot of socializing because I you know I'm on new sets I'm meeting new people it's there's crews and casts are, are huge it's a lot of people so like I I always find myself before I, I go into work I have to like really kind of give myself a pep talk because it gets it gets really stressful um with that with that environment yeah, it's about, you know, like giving your nervous system bite-sized information to process. Right. And if you are having social anxiety, then it is more sensitive to the bite sizes and what is involved. So then being very gentle and slow is really important in order to then, it's kind of like trying to rebuild a muscle that was injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to do physiotherapy and you, in physiotherapy, it's uncomfortable right. <laughs> and you have to go through these exercises that may be sometimes painful, but you know that you're slowly building towards, let's say, going back to the gym again and lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a process of exposure, of, uh, ex- and then kind of like tolerance to smaller amounts of discomfort, but then it's also at the same time a process of growth. That's why I guess they call it growing pains. Right, okay, okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next question is talking about um, self-worth issues. Um, What's kind of gonna be that first step in in rebuilding that? that confidence is that step going to look different for everyone else kind of what's the starting point for that I think that you know healing ourselves is very individual and personal to all of us I always say it's like uh your healing is like uh your fingerprint so things that work from for some clients will never work for others and things that worked for others, never worked for me, and things that worked for me didn't work for other people when I would suggest it. So it is very different for everyone, and it's very personal. But generally, uh, even if it does look different for everyone, I think that is important. Like, in order for us to build our confidence, it's important for us to recognize and identify what we are good at and look at our past experiences and things that we have overcome and that we have been successful in and kind of remind ourselves of those because I think that when there's social anxiety um, involved, you kind of like, because you're so triggered in that moment, you are outside of your window of tolerance and you cannot remember like, hang on a second, I've done this, I've done that, I've been through these situations and I, I came out 
just fine from them. So um, having that confidence from past experiences and also identifying the things that you are good at and exposing yourself more to those things, like um, instead of uh, exposing yourself to the things that you may not, like for example, you have social anxiety and you're not great at singing, you do not want to go to a karaoke bar, right? Because that <laughs> that's just going to be an awful experience for you. Mm-hmm. And um, but if you do have social anxiety and you have a wonderful voice and you go to a karaoke bar and everyone's cheering for you, let's say you gently work your way up to do the karaoke and. Um, do that then it is a plus it, it it then becomes a positive reference point in your in your experience patterns and that's why I say it could be different for everyone but being able to identify the things we're good at and doing more of them is important in order to increase that self-confidence okay yeah that I mean that's because it's kind of that exposure to like your successes and and kind of a positive uh-huh. reinforcement type um, uh-huh. type step okay all right and then and also i think that when you're not triggered it would be a good idea to write a list down when you're when you're all there you know and you remember everything and write a list down of things that you're good at and things that you've done successfully and then when you start doubting yourself and like your brain starts spiraling uh when you're being triggered look at that list again have it on Mm -hmm. your phone or something in your notes app and then look at it again and remind yourself like hey i've come this far I could, I could do this. That's a, that's a really good idea. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do that right after I get off this call. <laughs> um, so then kind of that, that same question for like trust issues, um, overcoming that kind of starting to rebuild trust in relationships and, and friendships and just being able to, to do things. Cause I know like with, with, when it comes to trust issues with me, like I just very much like to, do everything on my own I don't hand anything off to anyone I have to get it done all by myself because then I and then I overwork myself or I take too much on and it's just stressful so like what's gonna kind of be how to how to get over trust issues and and rebuild trust in people well and what you just said then I guess it would be very important to differentiate between trust and control Mm, so that's in, like, is it a trust issue or is it like a control thing that you have going on and kind of like getting to the root of if it is a control thing, why is there a control thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, also in learning to, you know, to, to expand um, your ability to trust. I think that we need to embrace again, gently, uh, our vulnerability and being okay with experiencing moments of even snippets of vulnerability um, at a time in order to increase our tolerance to that sensation and that feeling. And um, I think that also you need to learn to trust yourself as well and in trusting yourself slowly that can... um, create like a domino effect in trusting your surroundings and then trusting the world mm-hmm. around you. Um, so it's, it's, it's a process where it's very, it's very unique because it's very individualized and very intimate, you know, trust issues are a very intimate problem that we struggle with. And it really goes into all the way into our core. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a knee jerk reaction um when when uh, when it's triggered and i think that 
being able to expose ourselves to that vulnerability and building building um, a tribe, a trusted tribe of people that we do trust mm -hmm. and exposing ourselves to what it's like to experience that instead of uh, kind of like um, experiencing the lack of safety, but experiencing the presence of safety. Or if you can remember, if there's nobody like that in your current situation in the present moment, then unfortunately there are people who may not have anyone that is um, trustworthy in the present moment. But in order to keep that hope there and that, um, how do I say this? In order to be able to keep that, uh, to the drive to want to keep going and and meeting new people and forming connections and relationships, reminding ourselves of the past where there must have been someone in your past that you felt safe with and that you trusted. Like for me, it was my grandpa. Um, he was like my safe place all the time or my next door neighbor that was growing up, she was my safe place. So if you remind yourself of that and of those relationships, it kind of like eases the tension in your nervous system and it kind of reminds you through a visualization of a past felt experience of what trust feels like so then you know what to look for in the present moment mm -hmm. with new people so that you can rebuild um, connections that are trustworthy and safe. Okay. That's, I like that like kind of digging into into past memories and, and like reminding yourself and that good memories. it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because trust has a lot to do with our sense of safety, and if our sense of safety was was um, was shaken at some point in our life, and sometimes for some of us repeatedly, then it's inevitable that you have trust issues. So it's important to regain that self, that sense of safety, once again. Okay. Um. So my second to last question is with kind of childhood trauma that happened at an age that you can't necessarily remember it. So if it was like when you were a baby or, you know, very young, young toddler before memories start to develop, can that still have a negative effect later on in life? Either if it's like subconscious or, or whatever, if you can't remember it, can it still affect you negatively? Yeah, there's a lot of like pre-verbal um, experiences that do affect you because your nervous system was very much being formed and receiving input from the environment during that time. Mm -hmm. And it can, it can affect you. And many times it may show up just as physical symptoms. They say that, um, you know, trauma survivors don't have memories, they have symptoms. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like these mysterious, I don't know, symptoms we may have um, come from possibly those pre-verbal years when um, we we couldn't uh, we can't even remember if you are in a therapy session you can you may not even recall certain things that happened when you were like one and a half years old but maybe you were left crying in your crib because your parent was not you know they were trained not to attend to you when you're crying and then you felt neglected so then um, that may come up in a, one way or another as an adult, as you're older. So um, yeah, if you don't remember it, you can still have a negative effect later on in life. And I think that that's why symptoms, you know, they're just symptoms. They're not the root cause right. of why something um, 
is uh, happening. And it's important to try to treat that root cause. And, you know, if it's rooted in in a time when you didn't have um, memories or it's like the, before the preverbal years, it still shows up again in in events that you do remember a little bit later in life and you can work through those and it's still working on that core issue and you could still heal that part um but it's it does show up and there that's why a lot of people have a lot of physical symptoms that they're trying to manage and a lot of like chronic illnesses or chronic conditions that just manifest that way because there's a, a quote by American neuroscientist Candace Pert, who said that, you know, our subconscious is in our body and that's where everything is stored. And um, it, that's why our body and our mind are so interconnected. And that's why we have all of these symptoms many times that we just don't know. And we're like stamped with this chronic condition. Right. But, you know, if you look back, it has its roots in, um, in, in your experiences and in your life from days when you may not remember what had happened. Okay, yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you bring that, because that's, like, I, uh, when I was, I was working through, I wasn't working through the trauma yet, I had kind of, like, stuffed everything down, and I was, like, not gonna work through it and just ignore it, and it, it ended up manifesting, and, like, I had, like, really chronic, like, stomach issues, and, like, I had, like, a six-week, like, migraine, and, and we would go to the hospital, and they're, like, there's nothing oh. wrong with you. Like there, we, there's nothing wrong. And like, we're like, well, what the heck? And then later on in the road, when I got into therapy and started discussing everything and they were like, yeah, that was your, that was all the issues kind of come into the surface one way or the other. And it's hard to identify. Like for you, it comes out as a migraine and as digestive issues. Other, mm-hmm. pe- other people may have like skin conditions that right. it just like, and I think that, you know, like irritable bowel syndrome is such a bucket for so many things. Like I, ha- I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome because I had digestive issues. Mm-hmm. But it's for stuff that people don't know or psoriasis, the same things like a skin condition. We don't know how or what, but so we have this bucket catch-all of psoriasis. Right. There's always like these bucket uh, diagnoses for chronic issues or migraines, right? It's like, I don't know where it started, but, and, you know, uh, if, if, if we would all have access to medicine that could help us really hone in on the core um, points, that would be really wonderful for us to be able to heal wholly and not just kind of like put band-aids over, over wounds. Right. Um, okay. So we're coming to the last question. Um, but before we do that, I just want to thank you again so much for coming on and talking. I've learned so much today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, it was so wonderful chatting together. I loved it. Hey, thank you. Um, so, out of we discussed a lot today, learned a lot. Um, what's kind of the biggest thing you'd like everyone listening to take away from the conversation? Um, I hope that people feel less alone in hearing this conversation. Um, one of my things that I always say is like, "You're not alone anymore," and hand in hand, we've got this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when you're struggling with mental health you kind of many times feel abandoned and kind of like on an island by yourself and that you're slowly sinking. And it's important to know that you're not alone. And then there's so many others that are experiencing difficulties Mm -hmm. and reaching out for help um, to, you know, to a specialist and a professional and also having a community that you're part of where you're understood. That's why I also have like a weekly 
healing collective where I have people join in on a Zoom call and we talk about this healing journey and the struggles of mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's always like, oh my God, whenever like when new people join, it's always like, oh wow, I really thought that I was alone in this and I felt like I'm so isolated, but like Mm -hmm. y'all are dealing with similar things in different contexts. And I think that's really important because the less isolated they are and the more connected we are, the healing happens so much better and so much more efficiently. That's why I also coined this term of co-help over self-help because in co-help, you could co-regulate with others. You experience things where you there's a trust and then there's mutual understanding. There's validation happening. And those things are really important because if trauma happens in relationship to others or to the environment, then healing happens in benevolent relationships. That. I love that's that's kind of my whole like why I started this was for for people to not feel alone so I love that to, to end yeah that that's, that's wonderful yeah well and and because that that was kind of the reason I I ignored and kind of just pushed down all of my issues for so long is like well I don't want to be like that's not normal that's weird I'm there's nobody else going through that and then I didn't go to therapy for so long is because I was like that like no I'm gonna I'm like I'm the weird one with issues like I don't want to and then and then when I got into it and then when I started this I was like wow there's a lot of people that I can relate to and can and can relate to all of this so that's really wonderful right lessening the stigma is really important because that way we could all come together and help each other heal yeah exactly I love that well thank you so much for for talking with me today um, I will be linking uh, your Instagram in the description of the episode. So if anyone, you know, wants to, to message you and, and talk, that will be available. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for coming and imparting your wisdom. Um, again, I learned so much. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to carrying the conversation with um, if anyone does want to reach out and set up like a discovery call or they're more than welcome to join the Healing Collective on Wednesday evenings. Um, just, you know, know that you're not alone and that, you know, like I always say, hand in hand, we got this. Awesome. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. You too. Take care. Thank Bye you. now, Emily. Bye. Alrighty, you beautiful humans. So that was, again, Anna Maria on adverse childhood experiences and how they kind of shape who we are as adults. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please, please give the biggest thank you to Anna. Go check out her Instagram. Send her messages. Get involved. If you have questions, if you want to join her discussions, please do that because I think it's really, really beneficial. She has some amazing, amazing advice, amazing tips, just amazing wisdom to share to help um anything that you are going through um but yeah that's that is today's episode and i hope you guys enjoyed it and um again her instagram will be linked in the description of the episode so you can just go and click that and get taken to her instagram um but yeah i think that is it for for the episode today if you have not been told yet today i love you all so 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 much i'm so proud of you whatever you are doing wherever you are in life i'm so proud of you for just continuing to push on and and be you and you are amazing um i hope you're having a wonderful week or a wonderful day or a wonderful evening whenever you are listening to this 
I hope your summer is going amazingly. Um, I know it's fucking hot here, so I'm dying, but I don't know about you guys. But yeah, I hope you are just just living the life. I hope the vibes are vibes are good this summer. Um, but yeah, I love you all so much, and I will talk to you in the next episode.